1: Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com.
2: Good morning. Welcome to our show number 619. We don't usually have a guest right at the beginning of the show, but today we do because she's special. She's Lisa White, (laughs) executive editor for Nature and Field Guides for Houghton Mifflin Harcourt Publishing, where she's been editing nature books for more than 25 years And those books include the famous Peterson Field Guide Series and Kaufman Field Guide Series, along with many others by big name birders like Pete Dunn and Lang Elliott, Julie Zickafoos, and Scott Widensall, to name a few. She's also with yours truly, a fellow graduate of the Mass Audubon Birders Certificate Program. And she is right here with us in the studio this morning. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning,
3: Ray. How are you?
2: I'm well, thank you. Great to have you here in person with your beautiful book. Uh, And those are some impressive editing jobs there. You've completed a new one that carries your name on the cover as co-editor. It's a sequel to your terrific book of a few years back called Good Birders Don't Wear White. And it apparently validates that title since it's called Good Birders...
3: Still don't wear white. Exactly.
2: Well, tell us <laughs> tell us a little bit about it, if you
3: will. Well, the idea of it is for birders to, as the tagline says, passionate birders share the joys of watching birds. And we wanted birders to just share what drives their obsession with birds mm-hmm. and to talk about why they love birding, why they love where they bird, we have one who talks about birding in Panama, one who mm-hmm. thinks New York City is the best place to bird, why they love the groups of birds they do, we have one on seabirds and art, photography, you know, whatever aspect of birds they love. And that was sort of the idea behind it.
2: Give us some of the titles here, if you would, of the of some of these essays. And, and 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 this time, it's a little different than, than the first book, where that mm-hmm. was kind of all tips about right. birding, but these are essays, and then you have these bullet point tips um, at the ends of the essays. Right.
3: We still wanted it to be useful to readers. We wanted it to appeal to birders, beginning birders, and also have expert birders get something out of it. So the tips are there as sort of more pragmatic, practical things that people could get out of out of the essays that the expert birders are providing. Yeah,
2: so we've got beginning birders by Ken Kaufman. You've got uh, New York City birding, as you mentioned, by Corey Finger. You've got county by county. Why I Love Birding in My Yard by Michael Mm O'Brien.
3: Michael O'Brien, who's a bird tour leader, goes all over the world Mm -hmm. birding, but his favorite place to bird is his backyard.
2: Well, there you go. Our uh, man Mike O'Connor was a contributor to the first book, and this year another Talking Birds regular is in there. Nick Lund, who says he loves birding because it somehow provides him proximity to Mexican, Mexican food. <laughs> all right, we uh, we need to find out more about that, and we've arranged for Nick to join us right here on the program, along with Lisa White, in just a few minutes.
1: Extra, extra, read all about it.
2: Meanwhile, some stories and videos on our Facebook page this week. Do cedar waxwings really get drunk by eating fermented berries? Why, yes, they do, and often with disastrous results. We'll link you to a story about a specific instance of this phenomenon from Channel 6 News in Birmingham, Alabama. On a brighter note, Congress introduced twin bills in the House and Senate this week to designate the coastal plain of the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge as a wilderness. The refuge provides summer nesting grounds for millions of migratory birds that fly north through all 50 states. Whether the legislation will ultimately pass and be signed is still up in the air, but it's heartening to hear that a record number of senators and a bipartisan group of representatives are backing the legislation. And if you're anywhere near Laurel, Maryland, you'll want to know that the Patuxent National Wildlife Refuge there is hosting a night on the wild side on Thursday, April 20th. See our Facebook page for details. And that's some of what we have for you on our Facebook page Right now, you can find well, at least some of those stories through an online search if you're not a Facebook follower. Well, here's something that we're doing. It's kind of new here on our show, and that is we're giving a preview of our mystery bird contest so you'll be ready to call in when we do the actual contest and not miss out because the show has ended. So uh, we'll we'll give you the phone number. We'll give you the phone number now, but don't call until we do the actual contest. But it's 781 837 for 900. We're giving away a beautiful prize as always. It's a Droll Yankees feeder. Droll Yankees makers of the world's best bird feeders and this time it's the Droll Yankees Buff 15 Bottoms Up Finch Feeder. Finches can uh, access this and other birds that you may not be interested in I uh, would have a hard time. But anyway, here's our, s- the sound of our mystery bird. It's a colorful shorebird famous for congregating in huge numbers at traditional staging grounds during migration, especially Delaware Bay, where it feeds on the eggs of spawning horseshoe crabs. That's our mystery bird preview. We'll do the actual contest in just a little bit. Our conservation salute of the week is kind of a combination conservation salute and surprise. It concerns the Kentucky Coal Mining Museum in Benham, Kentucky, where they found a way to save money on their electric bill. Any guesses, Talking Birds listeners, as to how they're doing it? Well, they're now relying on the sun for the energy to run the operation. That's right. The Kentucky Coal Mining Museum is now solar-powered. Well, we continue to be thrilled and humbly grateful for the really big response to our Talking Birds Ambassadors Outreach Program, in which amazing Talking Birds listeners From all over the U.S. and beyond, hand out little cards, of info about our show to their friends and associates. And this morning, we thank our four newest ambassadors. David from Orem, Utah, just north of Provo. Kevin and Roxanne from Louisville, Colorado, kind of in between Denver and Boulder. And Nathan from Watervleet, New York, just north of the capital city. Of Albany. Thank you, David, Kevin, Roxanne, and Nathan. Meanwhile, we're excited to report that Talking Birds Ambassadors are now representing 39 states, as well as three Canadian provinces in London, England. But that means there are still 11 states not yet represented by Talking Birds Ambassadors, and those states are Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, New Mexico, South Carolina, Mississippi, Louisiana, Arkansas, Connecticut, Delaware, and Hawaii. If you're in one of those states... Not yet represented by Talking Birds Ambassadors. We hope you'll consider changing that by becoming an ambassador. And even if your state is represented, we hope you'll join in, too. Just click on the Contact button at talkin'birds.com and choose the Become an Ambassador option. That's the Become an Ambassador option at the Contact button via talkin'birds.com. No G in talking. Till to come on our show, in addition to more with Lisa White and a special appearance by Nick Lund, a.k.a. The Birdist. We'll catch up with our man Mike O'Connor from the Cape Cod Bird Watchers General Store. A little thing about your backyard hawks visiting and how to tell which is which. And up next, the bird that changed Phoebe Snetziger's life is today's Talkin' Birds featured feathered friend. Do you have a spark bird? That is, a bird that provided the spark that ignited your interest or your passion for looking at birds. Well, Phoebe Snetzinger had one. Her spark bird led to a fire, an inferno, a conflagration of birdwatching fervor. She saw this bird when a neighbor took her out on her first bird walk. Upon seeing the bird, Phoebe was transformed. As she put it, I had never seen anything like it. And at the same time, I realized that the bird had probably been in the trees in my own backyard every spring I'd been alive. It was as if a window opened up. Well, Phoebe soon began looking for birds in her suburban Minneapolis backyard and in the woods around her home. But before long, she began ranging far beyond the suburbs. Phoebe Snetziger went on to break the life list record for the number of bird species seen. By the time she died in a van accident while birdwatching in Madagascar at the age of 68, that list had grown to 8,398 species. And the bird that started it all? It was a tiny warbler with a brilliant orange throat yellow-orange eyebrow, small black face mask, and broad white wing bars, and named for the English botanist Anna Blackburn. Yes, it was the Blackburnian warbler, a bird that breeds in eastern North America, from southern Canada down through New England to North Carolina and westward through the Great Lakes region. Try to listen for this sound. for the bird as it forages for insects and spiders on small branches way up high in mostly coniferous trees. The Blackburnian Warbler, Satofica Fusca, Phoebe Snetzinger's Sparkbird, and today's Talking Birds featured Feathered friend. Thanks again for being with us our show number 619. Lisa White is here in the studio. And on the phone, ladies and gentlemen, the topic of his essay in Lisa White's and Jeff Gordon's new book might be Good Birders Don't Go Hungry. He's Nick Lund, a.k.a. The Birdist, and he joins us on the phone right now from Cherry Blossom Territory down there in Washington, D.C. Good morning, Nick. Good
4: morning, Ray. Good morning, Lisa. Hi, Nick.
2: Hey, nice to have you with us again, Nick, in a kind of a special uh, edition of your visit to the show. So your essay is actually entitled... I love birding because it gets me closer to tacos. Would you yeah. care to explain?
4: Yeah, I love tacos. Okay, um, that's thank you. Sort Nick. of a summary of it. I I grew up in Maine, which is not known for its delicious Mexican food. Really? Uh, and we believe it or not, um, we can go. Well, there's a Taco Bell, a, a combination Taco Bell KFC. That's pretty much the apex of Mexican food in Maine.
3: Authentic
4: Mexican um, food. And what
3: that? Authentic Mexican food.
4: Yeah, exactly. But one of the great side effects of it is I go on all these trips to the border or to areas that do have good Mexican food, and it's just, it makes everything better. And so it's a doubly pleasure uh, part of the trip and part of birding.
2: I like it. it; just makes everything better. There's a slogan. If I ever heard one, maybe right. I
4: would read a little uh, paragraph
2: here, uh, uh, Nick, from from your your essay in this book. With the book again is called "Good Birders Still Don't Wear White."
4: Sure, I'm happy to. And I'm my mouth is literally watering thinking about this uh, <laughs> this encounter. So, the most memorable memorable meals are the unexpected ones. Our party was desperate for a meal after a hot afternoon spent looking unsuccessfully for a ringed kingfisher along a dusty canal outside the town of Santa Maria. We pulled into the first place we saw with a tacos sign out front. It was called the Roadside Inn in the town of Hidalgo, and we walked in just as the kitchen was closing. A guy came out from the back, apologizing for things shutting down, and offered us the last of whatever they had. Some fresh corn tortillas, a spicy red sauce, and a big chunk of the most delicious mystery meat any of us had ever eaten. (laughs) We set up shop on the bench out front, drinking ice-cold Lone Stars and couldn't believe our luck as we get a tortilla after tortilla. Wow. And man, it was the best meal. We walked in and it was the kind of place, it was the first place we saw of any kind. We were hungry as heck. And it was the kind of place that was like not very much on the shelves. And the people were kind of looking at us like, oh man, we're about to close. What are these guys doing here? And so we had low hopes. And it turned out to be just the best, most delicious meal that we ever had.
2: Wow! And you've kind of shattered the, um, you know, the the image of of uh, what birders are like and what birding is about.
4: I think so. Maybe we were just hungry people at that point. <laughs> they they probably didn't even know we we're birders. We just had weird uh, optics hanging around our necks um, and desperate for whatever food they had.
2: Well, uh, Nick, I have to ask you—you've—you've you've seen this whole book. How many essays, Lisa, altogether? Thirty-seven. And Thirty-seven essays. Did you have any favorites in here, Nick, or have you only read yours?
4: <laughs> uh, no, I've read them all. I love Nate Swick's essay on uh, county birding. Um, and honestly, it's—it's—I uh, it's, it's, look through at the names involved, and I'm just honored to be a part of these folks. I—I uh, I, my name must have someone else must have dropped something, and I was—I'm lucky enough to be on, but. Um you you read through and it's really a who's who of all uh, you know uh great birders going around. Mhm. Well Lisa, you've
2: edited books by a bunch of heavy hitters in the in the bird world. I have to ask you what's the hardest part of doing that is it telling authors like Nick Lund and others that something they've written is not going to make it into the book? <laughs> <laughs>
3: No, I think the, the hardest part is when someone's writing is not very clear and even I don't know what they're trying to say. Mm-hmm. You know, with, mm-hmm. each, with each author, it, it depends. If you're on the same wavelength, it's, it's easy to edit them, even if the writing is messy and needs a lot of work, but you, you get what they're trying to say. Sometimes, if you, if you don't know, it's much harder to edit. So mm-hmm. that's probably the most challenging thing.
2: All right, but you didn't have to do any of that with Nick's. Uh, Not with Nick's. No, no, I, didn't, no, I, didn't I, think I hardly so. touch.
4: <laughs> and as we were you saying guys, earlier, you're just saying that because I'm on the phone with you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you should have heard before we went on the air, but we'll talk about that later. But. We, uh, as we mentioned earlier, there are tips with each essay uh, about birding. Your tips are a little different. They're about Mexican food, which is kind of refreshing, too.
4: Yeah, you know, uh, I figured I wasn't going to be able to compete with any of the really good birders on the thing, and so I switched to uh, to some tips about eating. <laughs> um, you know, basically, what, in my experience, uh, the best food is found at places that aren't white napkin places, mm. um, not even sit-down places. The place like, like uh, the um, outside In, where we had that delicious meal. I mean, it was barely a, standing structure at all. But food was <laughs> ideal, and so don't get reservations. Don't do any of that stuff. Okay. Just go into a place um, that looks that looks w- like they focus on food and right. not the atmosphere.
2: Worry about the food, not the <laughs> building. All right, Nick yeah. Lund, who really is a good birder and a great birder, as a matter of fact. Uh, look for his birdist rules of birding at Audubon.org, and then find out what he really thinks on his blog at the Birdist. .com. Thank
5: you Nick. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye Nick.
2: <laughs> Coming up next here it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just 1 minute.
5: Next time you're shopping for wild bird food, look for Audubon Park. It's the finest kind, and you can choose from more than a dozen selections, including no waste patio blends and species specific blends. And the folks at Audubon Park encourage all who feed backyard birds to follow these important rules to help keep birds safe and healthy. Choose seed made in the USA. Fill your feeders with no more than a week's supply of food. Clean your feeders weekly with soap and hot water or a solution of bleach and water. Make your windows visible to birds to prevent crashes. Place feeders away from windows and safe from predators offer water for drinking and bathing and refresh it daily keep cats indoors reduce your lawn mow it less often and skip the fertilizers and pesticides plant native shrubs and trees and keep outdoor lights as dim as possible and use them only when necessary simple rules for healthy birds from the folks at audubon park wild bird food and for a complete list of backyard bird feeding tips visit the discovery center at audubonpark.com that's audubonpark.com
0: if we continue to consume our natural resources at the rate we do now, by 2050, it could take three Earths to meet our needs. The Earth can't
2: speak up when it needs help, but we can. Be the voice for those who have no voice. Visit worldwildlife.org. Talking Birds is sponsored in part by Chimani, providing free outdoor mobile app travel guides to plan and navigate your journey to more than 400 national parks, monuments, and historic sites. From Acadia to Zion, go to Chimani.com, that's C-H-I-M-A-N-I.com, to download your free app today. It's our mystery bird contest, and you're eligible if you haven't been a winner here in the past six months on our Talking Birds program. And uh, if you're not listening live, don't forget, you can do it easily online. Go to TalkingBirds.com and see how to do it. Here's the sound of our mystery bird. By the way, our prize is that beautiful Droll Yankees' bottoms-up finch feeder. Not so great for house sparrows, which have difficulty hanging by their feet, but terrific for other birds like finches and chickadees and pine siskins, which actually are finches. But anyway, our mystery bird is a colorful shorebird that's famous for congregating in huge numbers at traditional staging grounds during migration, especially Delaware Bay, where it feeds on the eggs of spawning horseshoe crabs. This might be a good clue. We'll see a nickname of today's bird uh, is the robin snipe. Think about that. Might offer a clue, the robin snipe. That's our mystery bird. What is it? Uh, Tell us what it is at 781-837-4900. Or take a guess because no uh, correct answer means a drawing will term and our winner so we'll have a winner in either case 781-837-4900 is the number to call meanwhile how do you tell between a cooper's hawk and a sharp-shinned hawk visiting your backyard mike o'connor has some tips for us about that it's let's ask mike live in just one minute a wise person once said although we may regret some things we do in life the bigger regrets concern things we didn't do One thing many people say they've just got to do someday is visit the Galapagos Islands, which inspired the world-changing work of Charles Darwin. Well, if you're one of those people, I say don't wait any longer. I'm Ray Brown, inviting you to go to the Galapagos with me and one of the finest small group touring companies on the planet, Sunrise Birding. Thanks to their expertise, we'll have a chance to see things other tours don't, like red-footed and Nazca boobies and flightless cormorants, along with Darwin's finches, Galapagos tortoises, land and marine iguanas, sea lions, whales, and dolphins. We'll even snorkel with Galapagos penguins. I'll be your host for this trip, joined by local experts as we explore the islands via custom-designed first-class yacht. Please check out the details on this trip of a lifetime right now at sunrisebirding.com. That's sunrisebirding.com. We now switch to Cape Cod, Massachusetts, ladies and gentlemen, where Mike O'Connor from the legendary Bird Watchers General Store awaits. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, there, Ray, and good morning, Lisa. Good
3: morning, Mike.
2: Lisa, I got your book on the shelf, kid.
3: All right, I hope uh, you're selling uh, lots.
0: Oh, uh, <laughs> you know, the line, you know, it's, I'm exhausted yeah. from keeping, this, keeping them in stock, but I'm doing the best I can.
2: The line <laughs> is going out or coming in? <laughs>
0: Well, in, in, in a perfect world, they
2: do both. All right. We talked about one of the essays uh, in uh, Lisa's book here about um, birding in the backyard. Was that Michael O'Brien? Mm-hmm. His, his favorite place is birding in the backyard, and that's certainly true for a lot of people. Gee, well, the, I, when you first said that, I'm thinking, did I write something? Because I thought
0: you were going <laughs> to sing my name
2: for a minute. <laughs> uh, you know, so anyway, so, so people love to see the songbirds and such come to their yard, but a lot of people are not that crazy when... When uh, uh, hawks
0: show Yeah, hot, we mentioned this right? last week a hawks yeah. can keep the birds, the feeder birds, at bay for quite a while. And then now that everybody has a f- smartphone, they're sending me all these pictures of the birds because I can't figure out what just chased the birds away. Yeah. And the two notorious feeder hawks, or backyard bird feeder hawks, uh... sharp hawks and cooper's hawks. And these two birds look remarkably the same. Um, and so w- what we try to do is try to figure out which is which. And basically the rule of thumb is size, although it's not a perfect indicator because there's some overlap, but typically the smaller, sharp-shinned hawk is about a blue jay size. It's, it's tiny, it's fast, and attacks feeder birds relentlessly, but it's small, and, and the Cooper's hawk is considerably larger, in theory, because the females are larger, so that hawk is more likely to be seen on the feeder. You know, the ones in my yard, they land right on the feeder because they're they're bigger than the sharpshin hawks, They're about crow size, a lot mm. bolder. And so when they land, they'll land on your feeder or on the post that your feeder has. And one of the other rules of thumb to tell which is which besides the size, one, the sharpshin is j size, the other one is more like crow size, is the tail. The tail on a sharpshin hawk, the smaller one, as the name indicates, sharp, is sharp along the bottom. It's squared off. Uh, typically. Uh, and, and, that's and the a good Cooper's way to hawk,
2: remember because we were talking earlier about which one is rounded and which one is square. So, sharp. Right.
0: So what I one? use yeah. is the sharp shin because it's a sharper tail, sharper edge, and the Cooper's hawk. coop rhymes with loop, and it's more rounded like a loop would be. Mm. So those, those, again, you know, during molting and different times those things aren't perfect, but they're really good, a good indicator when the bird is sitting on the feeder. And Cooper's hawks, and I, I had a customer bringing this photo one time, of a sharpshin hawk came in, and then a Cooper's hawk, the larger one, grabbed it and started eating it right on his in his yard. So the the Cooper's hawks are a are bolder, and they'll, they'll they they kind of control everything. So sharpshins tend to stay in the trees and a little and not hang around as long as the the bigger the larger Cooper's hawks will. And then you get then you get the male and female. I mean, not the male and female, but the 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 mature ones, which kind of gray and rusty on the front, and then the all brown ones which are, in both sexes, are uh, all brown and, and speckled like giant sparrows. Mm-hmm. So, it's, um, it, yeah, get get one, of, get one of Lisa's seal guides, you know, Peterson or Ken Coffin's yeah. seal guides. and looks look through these, because they're, they're both challenging birds. But they're interesting, and, um, you know, they cost me a lot of money by keeping the feeder
2: birds away. And uh, how is that again? Coop rhymes with loop. Right, and sharp has got that sharp edge. Write that there down. All Put right. that in the next book, Lisa. <laughs> All right. See you next good, week, Mike. Good bird. guys got to <laughs> Right. <laughs> Mike O'Connor down at the Bird Watcher's General Store. <laughs> Meanwhile, we're back here at the uh, Mystery Bird uh, Contest. Uh, their number is seven eight one eight three seven four nine hundred. And this is the bird, the sound of the bird here. It's a colorful shorebird famous for congregating in huge numbers at traditional staging grounds during migration, especially Delaware Bay where it feeds on the eggs of spawning horseshoe crabs a nickname may provide a clue it's called the robin snipe and we're going to go to a caller who's uh not anywhere near where those birds congregate it's ryan out there in logan utah good morning ryan morning ray how are you doing great to hear from you are you one of our talking birds ambassadors by any chance i am i thought so all right well great to hear from you and Thanks for being an ambassador, and say hello to Lisa White here. Hey, Lisa, how's it going?
3: Good, how are you, Ryan? I'm doing great. Great to be on the show with you guys Oh Well,
2: we're glad to have you, and, uh, and, and glad to have you on our mystery bird contest. You heard the sound of the bird there, I hope, and uh, heard the clues, and what have you uh, concluded from all of that?
4: Yeah, so out here we have plenty of robins and plenty of Wilson snipes. So I'm <laughs> thinking this one's going to be a red knot out there in
2: Maine. You took the robin and combined it with the Wilson snipe, and came up with the with the robin snipe, and it is the red knot. Congratulations! Could we have a little louder applause there from the audience? Jeez. Nice <laughs> awesome. one, Ryan. Any hot spots for birding that you like to tell us about out in Utah?
4: Um, you know, just out in our farm fields, we have one of the largest migratory area for the white-faced ibis. So that's one of the more exciting things we have going on in Cache Valley, Utah. Um, but out by Salt Lake, there's um, Couple days, and out by the Salt Lake, you can see a lot of good shorebirds. Nice,
2: Ryan. Thanks for calling again, uh, and for being an ambassador. And uh, stand the line. We'll send you that uh, Droll Yankees feeder. Awesome. Thank you, Ray. Okay. Uh, We want to give a plug for our Ambassadors program, if we may, again, while we're on the topic. Just go to our website, TalkingBirds.com, click on the Contact button, and choose the Become an Ambassador option. If you'd like to join our big group of ambassadors now, 112 to be exact, we're pretty excited about that. Lisa White is with us. The new book is called Good Birders, Still don't wear white passionate birders share the joys of watching birds all these great essays 37 of them by some of the best birders um in america any from outside of america these are all
3: No, there are a couple there There are uh, a couple yep there's um the urban birder from the uk david lindo and Uh carlos Betancourt from panama
2: we know carlos uh, from our trip down to the canopy tower and the canopy family yeah Carlos has that great story about how he shot a bird with a slingshot, brought it to his grandmother, and he thought she, she would be so, so disappointed. proud of him. <laughs> and she said, how would you like me to cook it? And he was kind of shocked by that, and yeah. uh, he he then threw away his slingshot.
3: And now he's a bird guide in Panama. He
2: is indeed, down at the uh, amazing Canopy family in the Canopy Tower from uh, where we did our show it was a couple of years right. ago there, but it's it's still there. And all the birds are are still there as well. Uh, Lisa, thanks so much for coming on and for telling us about uh, about this book, Good Birders Still Don't Wear White. This is the sequel to the original book without the word still. Great essays by great birders and lots of tips at the uh, end of each one. And this book is probably uh, readily available in many places.
3: Everywhere. Bird yes.
2: Watchers General Store in Cape Cod has it, I know. Absolutely, On the yes. shelf there. Mm-hmm. And, Every, and online it, all the bookstores. All that kind all of stuff. The all the bookstores. All the bookstores. <laughs> Good Birders Still Don't Wear White. Edited by Lisa. Lisa White and Jeffrey Gordon from the American Birding Association. Right,
3: and we should mention that a portion of the proceeds from this book do go to the American Birding Association. So, cool. You're doing good when you buy the book, too.
2: Indeed, and illustrated by Robert Brownfield. Robert, Illustri-
3: Rob's a great illustrator. His his there's an an a, an illustration for every essay in the book.
2: Nice. Yeah. That is our show for this morning. Producer, executive producer Mark Duffield. Associate producer Debbie Bleacher, engineer Jesse Wilkins. Next week, we'll hear about a bird rescue by iPhone. We'll meet four springtime trillers, and we'll preview the upcoming nationwide science march. That's next week, right here on Talking Birds. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. Ray Brown's
0: Talking Birds.
1: Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store or Leanscape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean, inspiring you to get outdoors. LLbean.com. By Celestron, offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. And by Chimani, visiting a national park, let Chimani guide you. chumani.com.